Hello and welcome to the second episode of Stupid Sequence, the show where we make ranked lists of things that don't matter because arguing with your friends is fun. I'm your host, Josh. And I'm your host, Scott. Let's start with a quick summary of what the show is. The goal of each episode is to create a ranked list of something, usually media-related. Scott and I will pick a topic before the show and each come prepared with a list of ten. In the first segment, we'll talk about the first five items from each of our lists in detail why we feel they fit the list, why they're special to us, or maybe some interesting facts about them. From there, we'll use the second segment to briefly mention the remaining items on our separate lists before going head-to-head and arguing over which items belong on the top 10. This week's topic, we are talking about the best non-main cast TV show characters. Uh, and Let's establish a couple ground rules here um, that we've decided going in ahead of time. First off, the character cannot be billed as main cast or um, kind of main starring at any point in the series. So even if they start as a, you know, a, a less important character early on and then later seasons they become main character, main cast, those are disqualified. Character can't really be a main role in any season. So if, it, if they're only in one season, but they're like the main villain of a season or something like that, that's also kind of disqualified. And the character must appear more than once in the show, so no, no one-off guest. So it's a kind of recurring non-main cast is what we're looking for. Also going to mention here at the top, um, this is, since we're kind of talking about TV show characters um, and, and, and specifics about some of the characters, we are probably going to get into a little bit of light spoiler territory. I don't think that's really avoidable, but we are going to try to keep it pretty light. If at any time we need to dive into heavier spoilers, we will be sure to call that out um, and, get, and give some time for you to, to skip ahead of that. So, Scott. Yes. What, uh, what do you think of this list so far? What, uh, what, uh, how, how, what was your experience uh, generating this list? Yeah, it was, uh, it was a lot to take in. It, even though we kind of consolidated to a, a pretty specific topic, I still felt like I had a lot on my list. I started by thinking about a lot of my favorite shows or just any show that I've enjoyed over the years, which that became a pretty long list. And then moving beyond just that list, it was thinking about specific characters. And I think we tried to keep it to one per show, right? So I yeah. I, I did have a couple of shows where I felt like there were two or even three characters that i felt could be on this list but after giving it some additional thought some elimination i i was able to to come up with what i feel is pretty strong list i i have a feeling that we won't have too much overlap though i it it just seems like it's such a big topic that it's it's a lot less likely yeah, when I was going through, I kind of doing my initial kind of run through my mind and going, all right, what what sh- what characters are making this list? What shows do I like? You know, like you're saying, I think I ended up with over 30, which is like, oh boy, that's a lot. I got to cut down here uh, yeah. to make an actual list. Uh, one other stipulation that I, I just thought of um, Go for it. as we were talking about this, we um, were deciding that if a character, if if the show has 
like a revival later on, like the, like Twin Peaks or something like that had the um, the, the sh- other show that happened later or a movie. We're not considering the other move, any movies generated from the show. We're not considering any sequel shows or anything like that, like a Better Call Saul situation off of Breaking Bad. We're just talking about we're only considering within the show itself that we're specifically citing. That's right. Which is good because I had a couple that were borderline as a result of that. Yeah, I had at least one on my list, possibly more if I think about it. That would have would have been disqualified off of that. But let's get right to it and let's jump in with your number five, Scott. Number five. Yeah, let's let's go ahead and get into it. So my number five on this list is Jerry Stiller as Frank Costanza on Seinfeld. Oh, that's a very good choice. And I, I just I cannot think of a better secondary character on that show. There's a lot of really interesting characters on that show, but I, I think he stands out. I, I always enjoyed when he was on the screen. It it was he was always funny. He was always quick to judge people, especially George. And he's just a great secondary character. A couple of key features that I, I think really make him stand out. Uh, there, there was the, the scene where he's trying to control his blood pressure and he's just kind of in the backseat yelling, Serenity now. Serenity and, now! Yes. <laughs> I can't. Uh, so funny. That became like a, a thing for him. Like it, that phrase became associated with him as an actor, even beyond Seinfeld, and fans really clung to that. Clung, clinged. I'm not sure what the word is. I think clung. I think that's right. Okay, well, I, I, you've watched Seinfeld, right? I mean, you're familiar with. Oh yeah, with Frank. I, uh, yeah, Jerry Stiller in that role, just fantastic. Uh, definitely one of my favorites from. From that show, there's a there's a for Seinfeld specifically. So Seinfeld's a show that I looked at for for items on my list. And while um, nobody made my top five, perhaps we'll hear about one later that's on my list in the bottom five on the six through ten. Um, but uh, I I it's not Frank Costanza. I truly love this character though. He's very good, really very consistently funny. Jerry Stiller's just perfect in that role. Uh, so def- definitely a favorite of mine. I'm going to add a little bit more here because there's just so many things that he's done throughout the time that really just stuck in my mind for it. Um, His uh, invention where he tried to create a man bra, I think they called it a a man seer, him and and Kramer. Oh, that was great. His overall frustration uh, with the consumerism of the holidays, where he created his own holiday, Festivus, you know, the airing of the grievances, the feats of, course, of strength, of um, the aluminum pole, which, of course, aluminum because it has a high strength to weight ratio, and no tinsel because it's distracting. Um, that, that actually resonated well enough with me that when I had a work decorating office competition a couple years ago, I decorated in the spirit of Festivus, which really was just a, bun- a bunch of Seinfeld memes posted around my office. And I did make a Festivus poll, and I still have it in my, my attic with the rest of the Christmas decorations. Nice. So I get that out occasionally. Uh, the last thing that I'll mention is it, because his son George worked for the Yankees, 
The association to Mr. Steinbrenner came up quite a bit, but every interaction that Frank had with him was a chance for him to air his grievances uh, with the way that he's running the team. Uh, you know, he'd just say, like, I, I can't believe you traded for so-and-so, and why would you pay $12 million for that guy? And I think even when when George had allegedly died and Mr. Steinbrenner went to his parents to break the news, Frank just kind of, like, glosses over it and just like, oh, yeah, but what about this move you made recently with the Yankees? Like, he didn't, he didn't even care at that point. So it, it just... It really solidified his spot for me. It just great character, very well written, very well acted, and and whenever I think of him, that that actor, that's who I think of. Yeah, definitely. I uh, also want to mention uh, R.I.P. Jerry Stiller. Lost him a couple years ago, which uh, is yes. sad. But rest in peace. Definitely. So, Josh, what what do you got for your number five? All right, for my number five, uh, I've already mentioned this show once on on the uh, podcast so far. We're talking about the character of Gordon Cole from Twin Peaks. Mm. So uh, if you're not familiar... um, I am not. So Gordon Cole is played by David Lynch, who's the showrunner, one of the showrunners of Twin Peaks, noted director as well. Uh, So your, your your main protagonist, mostly, of Twin Peaks is Dale Cooper who's an FBI agent, who's investigating the murder of Laura Palmer. Uh, Gordon Cole is another FBI agent who shows up to kind of assist with the case later on in the show. Uh, and he is a very, very entertaining character. I, I really enjoy him. His kind of the gimmick to his character is he has severe hearing loss, so he has to wear hearing aids at full volume. And as a result, he is constantly mishearing people and also shouting at everyone he talks to oh great um yeah so he talks like this coop i'm <laughs> we're investigating the case i don't do a good david lynch but it's a uh, it's pretty funny he's also got a lot of weird non sequiturs that he jumps into uh and he just just comes up with weird phrasings for things and and and, and mentioning things and people are like what are you talking about dude uh so he he shows up in a, in a number of episodes, not a ton of them. He's probably probably in like five or six, maybe. Um, but he he's he's very enjoyable. It's just a, a character who's pleasant to be around. He does show up in the movie. He does show up in the Twin Peaks: The Return show later on that aired in well, 2017, I think. But not not considering that, we're just talking about in the original show, and he's he's just very fun presence there. Uh, also worth noting, uh, he was named for a character in Sunset Boulevard, which is one of David Lynch's favorite movies. Hmm. That's where that comes from. That movie is actually, a scene from that movie is featured later on in Twin Peaks The Return. Just because David Lynch likes that movie a lot, apparently. I was not aware of that. No, I, I never never watched Twin Peaks, to be honest with you. It, it was on hey, my list. Twin Peaks. Well, yeah. It, it, I've been told several times that it's right up my alley, kind of the mystery style and a little bit uh, kind of akin to Fargo, I think I was told, or like a Mulholland Drive type thing, which I believe is also David Lynch. Um, yeah, Mulholland Drive is Lynch. Um, it, there's definitely some similarities to Fargo. Um, Fargo probably doesn't exist without Twin Peaks happening. That movie is, what, four years after, five years after Twin Peaks debuted? 
Uh, that's really one of the things I appreciate about that show. Not to dig too much into why Twin Peaks is great, because uh, I could be here all day talking about why Twin Peaks is great. But it's just so, so hugely inspirational to a lot of other things that I enjoy. Okay, but his character specifically, you take enjoyment out of is what you're saying. Yeah, definitely. There, it's got a the, the the main cast is you know fantastic. There's so many, and 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 the supporting cast. There is a lot of good options to pull from there as well. But I think Gordon Cole is the standout there. One of the standouts to me okay. for sure. Good addition. Well, why don't why don't we move on to your number four? Sure. So my number four is Anne Dudek as Amber Velakis, a.k.a. Cutthroat Bitch, on House. Oh, okay. Uh, she was one of the original applicants to replace the, the original people that reported to House, his original team, and she was immediately very manipulative. She... She was part of the team of about 10 doctors that was asked to wash House's car. And she tricked eight of the applicants to walk away. Like, oh, we shouldn't take this. We went through medical school and we became doctors. And now he's asking us to wash his car. This is a bunch of BS. And the one guy stayed behind and just started washing it. About 15 minutes later, she returned after the other eight had all left. Because she just wanted to eliminate some of the competition, but she she returned and just took it to the car wash. So cutting corners, but getting the job done and manipulating people, kind of. Uh, that's that's definitely the house style. It it was definitely house esque, and seeing a lot of his similarities in her character, I think, is probably what drew me to her uh, a little bit more. But beyond her initial cutthroat attitude, uh, she did not make the cut. She was the last to be fired, but it was kind of her win at all cost mantra that really cost her because it just it really wasn't compatible with what House was trying to do. And at the end of the day, he needed them to realize that he's going to win pretty much every time. Right. And and that's just reality. House is one of those shows that um, it's a it's a member of the genre of which uh, there are many shows of. I like to think of it as a um, the competent asshole genre, hmm. um, where you have the the main character who is a, a real jerk but is so good at their job that everybody puts up with it. Uh, it's a it's a one of those shows that I really it's probably one of my favorites of that kind of genre of show. Sure, uh, and and interestingly. This season is where I actually really started enjoying the show. It's season four, right? Mm -hmm. The first three seasons with the kind of original cast there, I enjoyed to a point, but I found it got kind of samey. And when they really started changing up, like, all right, we're really going off the rails here and changing up what the format of the show is going to be going forward. That this is when I really clicked in with it, with what was going on. Completely beyond agree. just I like watching Hugh Laurie. Completely, know, agree. he's fantastic. Yeah, I, for the first three seasons, it was pretty much just the Hugh Laurie show, I and mean, the other three were there, but sure. not really in any kind of significant capacity in my mind. But once they started changing the format and and just engaging characters in a different way, and even though the same three characters retained some kind of recurring positions, pretty much for the life of the show. It it was still different enough that I, I thought it was way better than how it was originally done. 
Yeah, and I think um, if you mentioned her name and I've forgotten it already. Cutthroat bitch is what I think of the character. Amber, yeah. Um, Amber, right. Uh, she's a big part of that, why that season works as well as it does, for sure. Even though she's, she's you know, not main cast for that season, not one of the main characters specifically, she's definitely a big part of why, of, of that vibe shift in the show and mm-hmm. um, and what driving that new energy forward. Hey folks, Josh here breaking in after the fact to let you know there are some significant late season spoilers for House coming up. You're going to want to skip about three minutes ahead if you want to avoid that. So I, I'm going to add a little bit more context here because it's not just her early days as the cutthroat bitch, but after she she was fired and and she returns because she started dating Wilson. That was right. kind of like a, a right. fun little twist. But to take it even a step further, she's got this kind of redemptive arc because she started dating Wilson. You could tell she, she isn't the same person that she was in the job as she is in that relationship. She actually cares about him so much so that house almost feels threatened. Like he's going to be taken away and their relationship won't be what it used to be. And then a little bit beyond that, you know, to kind of get into some light spoilers, like we were saying, um, she, she dies. And that whole sequence of house figuring out that the reason that she died or, or maybe not the reason, but a contributing factor was because he was too drunk, couldn't drive home, called Wilson. He didn't answer. Amber went and got him. And then I, I think they stayed to drink a little bit and then they ended up on the bus and the bus is the thing that got in the accident. And then as a result of the pills that she was already taking for the flu, the treatment wasn't working. And as a result, she died and very, very house style sequence of events. Yeah, it was, it was an intense episode. I I found myself really identifying with her character and it was a a pivotal moment for house. I, I think, you know, he gets Wilson back to himself, but he also starts to reflect on his own life and kind of what led to that sequence of events. And even though he just is awful to Wilson and acts like, oh, she's gone, get over it. Like, mm, really, really not a good friend role in that position. But I think that whole sequence was, was really strong, really good show writing. I was happy with that twist of events because I really wasn't expecting it the first time that I watched it. And so to take it even one step beyond that, she has a recurring role later because he starts hallucinating and seeing her in a few different episodes. And and she's kind of like voice of reason, his own, his own internal angel, you know? And mm-hmm. yeah, just a really strong female character that was so dislikable and yet likable at the same time that I, I really enjoyed having her in that cast. So, yeah, definitely, and 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 I think a big part of why that character works as well as it does. I think it is a well-written character, but I don't think it works as well as it does without the performance of uh, Anne Dudek in that in that role. She just does a great job. Agreed, agreed. I would not be able to see her as any other role. I don't think in any. I can't think of another show that she was in off the top of my head, but. I would I think I would struggle to see her as anything other than Amber. I don't think I've actually seen her in anything else. I'd have to look it up. I don't know. 
but she's great in this show. Agreed. Why don't we move on to your number four? All right, my number four. We're heading. We're we're gonna stay in the nineties. Uh, okay. With my shows, and we're gonna talk about Star Trek: Deep Space Nine. Elim Garrick, played by Andrew Robinson. Hmm. If you're not familiar with Deep Space Nine, it's the Star Trek show that takes place on a space station instead of on a spaceship. Notable, notable change there. Uh, so Elam Garrick is a Cardassian, uh, who is not a Cardassian. Important yeah, not, distinction not nowadays. Less important of a distinction back when the show was airing, but nowadays, significant. Um, so <laughs> he... Uh, the important to note on this show, um, the so the Deep Space Nine as a space station was originally built by the Cardassian people and kind of used to subjugate the people of Bajor, the planet the station is nearest to. So that's a major underrunning theme of the show is that Starfleet has kind of come in and taken over this station and kind of driving back the presence of the Cardassians from this region of space because they're uh, real jerks, basically. <laughs> um, they're they're primarily a very imperialistic government, and, and and have inflicted a lot of wrong upon various peoples. So Elon Garrick okay. is the one Cardassian who is still on the station at this point, and he professes to be just a humble tailor who is running his his tailoring shop on the station. Um, of course, he is more than he appears to be. Pretty, it's pretty apparent from the jump that there's more going on with him. He's yep. originally supposed to be a one-off character. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, in those episodes, they often changed the music slightly or had, like, the side-eye glances, you know, just the little indications that you're like, okay, what's really going on here? Yeah, definitely. He uh, He's originally supposed to be a one-off character, and they found him so compelling that they ended up bringing him back for quite a few episodes of the show. Again, never main cast, but in, in a, there's a decent number of uh, Garrick-centric episodes that are typically very, very good. Ultimately, again, we're going to get into a little bit of spoilers here around this. Um, later on in the show, some of his background is kind of revealed as he turns out to be kind of former Cardassian CIA, essentially, who is on the, was on the outs with them, kind of got ousted from his position there, and, and so ended up stuck on Deep Space Nine trying to be uh, earn his way back into their good graces uh, while building relationships with the people on the station. And, and early on, he just seems like, oh, I'm kind of innocuous. I'm just a guy doing his thing. But I was like, what's really going on here? Later on, you kind of learn a little bit more. It's like, no, he really cares about his people and, and serving his planet and everything. And he kind of feels trapped on this station. Despite that, he's ended up inadvertently fostering these relationships to other characters on the show and finding that they have come to trust him with that. And so he kind of has some moral conflicts about that, hmm. which, which is pretty interesting. Some of the stuff I really enjoy the most about Garrick as a character is one of the central antagonists of the show, Goldacott, who is another Cardassian who was the former guy who ran the station. He just hates him. They just hate each other. Uh, for reasons I won't get into, but seeing them play off of each other is very, very entertaining every time. They also do some interesting storylines with him in regards to previous trauma that he'd had and, and, and some claustrophobia that he has uh, been stuck with as a result of that. Mm -hmm. That I think they, they, they handle pretty well uh, in terms of 
show narratives about trauma in the 90s not always the most uh not always the most thoughtful but uh i think this show does it pretty well one other element to garrick that i wanted to note is his sexuality um this is never concretely defined but the show is definitely is giving he's giving off some um ambiguous vibes sexually in terms of uh you know it, is he maybe gay is he bisexual something like that uh interviews with andrew robinson the actor who portrayed him he kind of in has talked about he intended they intended the character to come across that way initially the network kind of made them sand those edges off the character a bit over time because they just weren't comfortable with it because again it was the 90s but they managed to preserve some of it um over the course of time which you, you just you didn't always get a ton of in that time period so uh, hmm. Just a character who has really stuck with me. Well, yet another reason to think that Star Trek is ahead of its, uh, ahead of its schedule. Or excuse me, ahead of its time. Oh my gosh! It certainly tried to be, and I think it's successful at times. And each each show has tried to take swings in that area. Some more successful than others. Sure. <laughs> and you know, full disclosure, I have not watched Deep Space Nine uh, pretty much at all. I think I probably saw the first couple episodes, but. Really, uh, most of my Star Trek experience has been with uh, the Next Generation, and sure, sure. prior. Well, I guess after that as well, all of the movies or most of the movies. But that's that's a different conversation, I think. Sure, that's good. I I was not uh, I was not aware uh, of some of those unique things about him, but. Sounds like a pretty fun character. Seems like somebody I probably also enjoy seeing on screen. Yeah, definitely, definitely recommend. If you don't want to dig into all of Deep Space Nine, there's a lot of it. You know, maybe pull out a couple of the Garrick episodes and watch those because they're they're fun. Well, let's move on to your number three, Scott. What do you got? For my number three, I have Jim Beaver as Bobby Singer on Supernatural. It's a and, very good one. And this one uh, is a bit of a borderline pick because he's so instrumental throughout the entire series, but he is never billed as main cast in any season. Yeah, so that, that's definitely true. I was, I was a little bit hesitant at first, but then as I'm doing my research, trying to figure out like uh, who from Supernatural could I potentially include, and I saw that, I'm like, well, that's a no-brainer. He needs to go on my list. Yeah, I think if I remember right, even in the seasons where he's most prevalent, I don't think he's even in more than a third of the episodes in in any given season. That's right. He's alluded to several times and For sure. you know, he's he's kind of like that that uncle that always has an answer or is always willing to throw in some kind of uh aid when you're trying to hunt demons or other kind of creatures. And uh, for Sam and Dean, anytime they needed the history or an answer to some kind of super obscure legends or folklore, like they just call him and he would almost always have the answer. He'd be like, oh, I, I think it, he he didn't like it if you did this. And oh, ancient history says it's probably something to do with this other thing. And they're like, OK, thanks. And then they just run with it from there. Not to mention the amount of times that he has faked some agency, FBI, CIA, whatever, so that he could cover them when somebody tries to check out their IDs, you know, their backstories. 
his uh, consistent use of the word idiot, which, you know, light spoiler again, that was his final word right before he died, was idiot. Not to mention, he also spent 150 years in hell, but he never lost his humanity, never became a demon, which is... That's a long time. That's a long time. I've never spent 150 years anywhere. I think his approximate spiritual age as a result of that is like 200 and 210 or something. It's, it's old. Uh, but he has maintained his humanity throughout that whole time, despite some of his eye rolls and idiot comments and, uh, and overall uh, vengeful nature. Yeah, I, I definitely fell off um, Supernatural pretty hard around season seven, I want to say. Yep, uh, right after to hang six. Out. The, the, the show was originally supposed to end in season five, which is very apparent. Um, and I, I hung on through season six, and about partway through season seven, I was like, okay, this is not doing it for me. That being said, earlier seasons of that show were really good, and Bobby's a big part of that. Uh, definitely oh, one yeah. of my favorite characters on the show. Uh, and, and a large part of that is due in part due to uh, Jim Beaver is just fantastic. He's such a good such a good character actor. I at any time I see him show up, I'm I'm gonna enjoy that character pretty much every time. Yeah, it, he's fantastic. Did you know he originally was also only supposed to have a one time appearance on the show? But yeah, that's right. Overwhelming support. People loved him. They had to bring him back. So the fun thing about the character, he is actually named for one of the producers on Supernatural, Robert Singer. Robert Singer. They snuck that in without telling him. Yeah. Uh, And and another fun little bit of trivia regarding this character. So uh, Eric Kripke, who's the original showrunner on Supernatural, left after season five, I want to say. His current job is he's the showrunner on the show The Boys, which features Jim Beaver playing a character named Bobby Singer. I think it's Robert Singer in this, but uh, he's a he's a politician in this one. But he's just brought he's just brought Jim Beaver in to uh, to to play a character that's the same name, and that it's, cracks me up. I, it's it's a wildly different show tonally, uh, <laughs> but I I just really enjoy it. I'm like, oh, it's it's Jim Beaver. I love him. Oh, he's Robert Singer. That's hilarious. Yeah, it's uh, I only learned that today, but fantastic coincidence. I I love that they did that. That it just it adds to his. Uh, kind of fame i think just being able to say he plays the same character did you know in the anime of supernatural which i didn't even really i mean i don't read the anime or i i'm not as familiar with the anime but the manga please scott you don't read sorry no no (laughs) anyway bobby singer's character in that is um more joking with the boys less serious wears a suit it's just kind of like a different take on the the uncle, and I, I don't know. I don't know if I, I like that one as much. I, I'm glad they wrote him the way that they did in the actual series. And yeah, th- thank you, Jim Beaver, for a wonderful performance. I'm I'm pleasantly uh, surprised at, at how well that took on, and I'm I'm glad it worked out. So, Jim Beaver, Bobby Singer, number three, great character. All right. Who do you got? Before I jump into my number three, I'm just going to say you kind of got a murderer's row run on your list here because all every item on your list so far are characters that I deeply enjoy. So 
going to be some interesting arguments later on. Oh, it won't be arguments. It'll just be, well, you know, I don't even know Gordon or Alan, but uh, <clears> you we'll, love we'll Frank. We'll okay, anyway. <laughs> I'm going to have high number three as another character that I'm pretty sure you're not familiar with. We're going to stay in the sci-fi genre, and we're going to go to Star Wars The Clone Wars. Ooh. And we're going to talk about Cad Bane, the greatest bounty hunter of all time. Oh, man, I think there's probably some other people that would take offense to those those words. Listen, here we go. OK, we're going to talk about we're going to talk about Cad Bane. Obviously, the traditional bounty hunter of choice in Star Wars is Boba Fett. People like the Boba Fett's a very good character design. He doesn't actually do all that much in the movies. Certainly, um, he gets a little bit more to do in, in his TV appearances like Clone Wars and the Boba Fett show that that aired last year. Last year? Pretty sure it was last year. But we're, we're here to talk about Cad Bane. Cad Bane is a Duros bounty hunter. He is, uh, if you're not familiar with the Duros race in Star Wars, they're blue guys. That's about all you need to know. <laughs> uh, so what's interesting, as opposed to a lot of the other bounty hunters that we've seen in Star Wars over the years, where you have kind of like a, like a Boba Fett, with the, the Mandalorian armor and everything, the cool helmet, or you're like your IG-88 as uh, a droid bounty hunter. Uh, this is in this case, Cad Bane is modeled as a Western gunslinger type of character. Uh, very specifically, he's modeled after Lee Van Cleef's characters and and some of the westerns he was in, like The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. So he's got like a cool hat and, and you know, kind of guns on his, the holsters and everything. Does he and, chew on toothpicks? Spit them oh, out. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> nice. Cad Bane is uh, one of the coolest Star Wars characters, absolutely. And a big part of why he's so compelling is in a lot of Star Wars, outside of like, you know, a Darth Vader, let's say, uh, an Emperor Palpatine, a lot of the villains in, in various Star Wars media over the years have been very incompetent, and we see them lose over and over and over and over and over again. Cad Bane is the exception to this. Cad Bane is incredibly competent. He is... Uh, frankly, smarter than the characters he is going up against most of the time, and gets the better of them more often than not. Than not. Um, in in Clone Wars, he's frequently pitted against some our kind of main crew of Anakin and Obi Wan and Ahsoka uh, and the various clones that they're uh, that they're leading over the course of the show. Uh, whenever Cad Bane shows up, it's like, oh, you're in trouble now. He is he is a significant foe. And he wins more often than he loses, I'm, I'm pretty sure. He, uh, he's just... And it's fun to see that in a franchise where that doesn't happen very much, right? We're used to like these, like, oh, we've got like the Imperial officer they're going up against, and he's snooty and, and, and pompous and, and thinks too much of the Empire's capabilities, and oh, they got the better of him this time, you know, things like that. But Cad Bane is just... He's just... He's, it's hard to explain without just watching some of the stuff that he does, but he's just very cool. He's very, uh, I mean, cool in the sense of, like, he is a cool dude, but also, like, cool as a cucumber, kind of just, like, very calm and collected, uh, gets the job done, does not suffer fools lightly, and, and is just very entertaining. He's shown up other places in Star Wars canon outside of Clone Wars and is always entertaining when he shows up there. But for the most, you know, obviously with the rules we set up before, we're talking about his presence on this show. Okay. How essential is he to the overall plot of the show? It sounds like he might be affecting some of the 
the items along the way to bigger picture story arcs? Well, yes and no. He Clone Wars is pretty episodic. There's definitely um, there's definitely arcs over the show, and kind of the way that they structure the show is usually in most episodes are tied together in two to three, sometimes four episode long story arcs hmm. over the course of an individual season, okay. where they are loosely taking place sequentially. Clone Wars, notably, there's some episodes significantly out of order, which can be confusing. But so he's in in the episode arcs that he's a part of. He is definitely you know significant player in the arc. But in terms of ultimately, is Cad Bane determining who's winning the Clone Wars? You know who who is in the you know winning the battles and stuff like that. That's not really what he's there to do. He's here to steal shit. He's here to disrupt. It sounds uh, like. Yeah, be disruptive, kidnap people, kidnap children sometimes. That's a good episode. And just uh, just be a thorn in the side of uh, the good guys whenever he shows up and, and frequently get the better. He's getting the better of Jedi, you know, which doesn't have again, that's not a something that happens a lot very frequently anyways in in Star Wars. So do you do you like him because he's so smart or because he's just kind of a unique character in that he can actually outsmart the Jedi? Uh, yeah, it's, that's part of it. He, he's compelling in that there's obviously in, in Clone Wars and, you know, Clone Wars ultimately is a kid's show. It's got some heavy products for a kid's show, but you, you, you have a lot of villains that are incompetent. Like I kind of was talking about before. Um, you have a lot of villains where it's like, well, I'm going to be so good at this thing and everything. And it's fun to see that when they coexist in an episode with Cad Bane, him butting up against them, be like, it's just so clear immediately. It's like, oh, you don't know. You, you, you do not know what you're doing compared to him. He is so much more competent than you. Uh, and the way he is able to handle them, either by, you know, uh, socially maneuvering around them or just killing them because you know he's a he's a gunslinger and we'll do that just seeing him as kind of a competence porn kind of character uh just makes him very likable okay good choice no i'm uh i think i've mentioned this before but i have not watched clone wars yet there's too many things on my list and i just i can't prioritize it right now but Man, I'd I'd really like to. It you are not the only person to recommend this show to me. Uh, I was not as familiar with the plethora of colorful characters, so I will definitely definitely be looking for Cad Bane when I watch the show. You'll know him because he's blue. <laughs> it's a good indicator. All right, and with that, why don't we move on to your number two? Oh, sorry. Real quick before we do that, I just want to shout out. Didn't mention the voice actor for Cad Bane. That's Corey Burton, the wonderful Corey Burton who voices quite a few characters on Clone Wars and beyond. Okay. Sure. My number two is Cameron Britton as Ed Kemper in Mind Hunter. Okay. Interesting. He is huge and he's terrifying. I. I remember the first time that I watched kind of the end of season one and I felt legitimate fear just seeing the way that he was interacting with Holden 
And I didn't have a panic attack like Ford did, but I felt pretty uneasy. And I think just the way that he portrayed that character as this this serial killer that is responsible for 10 deaths, including his own mother and grandparents, and then doing unspeakable acts to corpses. It just the way he so casually presents the information and this actor, Cameron Britton, he did a fantastic job playing the role. Definitely. And definitely. If you do a side by side comparison between the actual serial killer and this guy, it's uncanny. I mean, it's just very well done. And I just, I found myself kind of falling in love with the show as a result of the initial interactions with Kemper. And it, it's an incredibly compelling performance. It, it really is. And he, you know, comes back in season two and he, he comes back as a, another influence to help communicate across multiple serial killers. I mean, there were several that they interviewed throughout the, the duration of the show, but Kemper's kind of like the the first and the the key point. He's the one that kind of launches this whole portion of of the FBI going into uh, this kind of unit, the behavioral science. You know, it right. it was uh, yeah, just really really well done, and just his candidness about the murder murders and and some of the creepiness about it just i i didn't want to hear it but i also didn't want him to stop it was it's like a train wreck a little bit but in a good way i i don't know it's it's like an obscure fascination with something so beyond the norm that you just you want to hear more you want to learn more about it and yeah i i I do think it's important to note, um, so for those of you who aren't familiar with Mindhunter as a show, it is a fictionalized depiction of some some true events, um, kind of the, the fictionalized sto- telling of the formation of the behavioral science unit in the FBI. Um, but important to note here, uh, Ed Kemper, real serial killer, um, killed people in the early 70s, uh, it's known as the co-ed killer, but this is you know obviously a fictionalized depiction of him. I think... He's definitely um, that this depiction of this this guy is definitely the most engrossing thing about the first season of that show. It is just oh for sure that that like kind of like you were saying when it was right around I, I I was interested in the show for the beginning of it and it's right around when he they they first go to him to interview him and kind of learn what they can from him psych you know behaviorally psychologically and everything. It's that performance that made me go, okay, I got to watch more of the show. This is very compelling. Absolutely. I mean, they're teasing kind of like the Parks uh, City, um, Utah killer as well, kind of throughout the whole thing, which, you know, at this point, when this podcast is being recorded, uh, as of now, there is no season three, not officially. It sounds like there's there's a chance. There's a chance it could uh, come back, but I just, as of right now, we're we're kind of at a standstill. But yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave him as my number two for sure. 
I, I really enjoyed the performance. The actor did a phenomenal job. He wasn't billed as the star of the season, but you're right. He was a huge star in that season. And I, I will definitely be eager to see more episodes, uh, assuming that they actually make more someday. I need David Fincher to uh, stop making whatever the heck else he's making and, and get back to Mindhunter, because come on, it's so good. It really is. I just, I've watched through both seasons twice now and, and introduced it to my wife as well, and, and we're both hooked. It just great. Great writing. Great choice of actors. Real happy. Yeah, big fan, big fan, for sure. But that being said, Let's uh let's go over your number two. You're continuing your streak over four for four on on characters that I am also familiar with. So we'll see, we'll see if I've got one that you're familiar with, and I think you might be. Uh, we're going back to the Star Trek well here for my number two, but a different show, so it still counts. We we discussed this ahead of time, and even though Star Trek same franchise across uh, Deep Space Nine and Star Trek: The Next Generation, different television shows, so we're allowing it. I'm choosing Q, played by John Delancey. Okay. So, if you haven't watched the show, um, Q is a kind of godlike entity that exists out in space in this world, uh, in this universe. Uh, he's introduced in the pilot episode of Next Generation uh, Encounter at Farpoint. It's a two-parter where he shows up and he is taking, um, he kind of briefly takes Picard, Captain Picard aside and puts him on trial for uh, the history of the crimes of humanity. And he's like, all right, you have to, you have to justify why humanity deserves to exist after it has sucked for so long. Right. We don't have to dig into the details of that episode, but that is the general vibe of everything that Q does over the course of his appearances, especially in next generation and beyond as he shows, he's showed up in a lot of other Star Trek media over the years. He becomes kind of infatuated with Picard and the Enterprise and kind of returns periodically over, you know, there's usually like one to two Q episodes a season where he just shows up and is like, all right, I'm going to screw with you guys for a while <laughs> and put, it concoct some kind of ridiculous scenario that you, uh, that I need you to, to deal with. Uh, as a result, he develops a, uh, a, the or we'll put it this way the crew of the ship develop a very antagonistic relationship with him whereas he is always um smarmy and like faux friendly and everything is like why would you be upset with me i'm just here to you know point out your inner nature and and we're gonna have some fun and everything and and that's one of my favorite things over the course of the show as you get into especially later on appearances he shows up and people are just instantly mad, like especially Picard. Uh, he shows up and he's just like, "Damn it, Q! You... No, not not today. Oh, I don't have time for here? this. Yeah. Get out of the, get out of here." Yeah. Um, but he is a he is a godlike being with seemingly infinite power. So there's kind of not anything they can do as, do about it besides go along for the ride. I just absolutely love this character. Uh, not every episode with him is a banger, but a lot of them are. Uh, John Delancey in this role, just absolutely fantastic. He's having a fan. He's having a great time. Every single time he shows up, uh, just playing this role. 
and watching the other characters bounce off him and just hate his guts uh, is is a really good time. That's a really good choice. Yeah, I just I'm thinking back on all the different Q related episodes. I, wasn't there like a um, a Robin Hood one? I, I can't, oh yeah, can't remember the specifics on that one, but. Yeah, I don't remember if that is purely he's generated the Robin Hood situation or he's like manipulating holodeck stuff. It could have been either way. It's been a while since I've seen the episode. Ah, yeah. But uh, he he kind of puts a situation together where he's the sheriff of Nottingham and Picard is Robin Hood and he's got, right. the various members of the crew are the Merry, the Merry Men, Men and everything. Yeah. And they've got to they got to do <laughs> they got to save Picard's girlfriend from the sheriff who is Q. Uh, it's it's a good time. Notably, that features that's the episode that features Worf saying, I am not a merry man. Yeah. <laughs> I also know my voice is not go deep enough to do a good Michael Dorn, but what can you do? Oh, that's uh, fantastic. Uh, probably my favorite Q episode. Uh, I'm not going to dig into too much spoiler things here, but um, the series finale uh, titled All Good Things is absolutely one of the best episodes of the show. Mm, yeah. Just I, I know which one you're talking about. Fantastic way to cap it off. Uh, basic, basic idea is that it's another test that Q is subjecting Picard to, and causing Picard to live through sequences in the present, but also 25 years in the future, and also 25 years in the past, um, and having to solve a particular problem in all three time periods to be able to solve the major issue about what's going on in the episode, and it's just. It's an incredibly good episode. Just one of my favorite series finales of all time. Yeah, didn't... I'm trying to remember in that episode. Because, um, yeah, Q shows up. The, he says, like, the trial's not over. And Yeah. Um, what Didn't Q... Wasn't Q the reason that Picard was able to solve it, though, right? Because he, he aided him in figuring it out. Um. Yeah, that's kind of the thing you get with Q as you go from thing to thing is he's creating this, you know, scenario that's supposed to be this test. But he also kind of nudges things along the way he wants to see them go, because ultimately, I think what you get with Q, where we land with Q over the course of the show is, is that he's just fascinated with humanity and, and the crew of the Enterprise and Picard most specifically. And he just wants to see him do stuff. He just wants to see how he's going to react to stuff. Hmm. That's a really good choice. I hadn't even considered Q for my list. Uh, I, I when I was going through, um, when I was going through, who I was going to include on this, I had uh, a good five or six characters from from Next Generation that I was considering, but Q Q ultimately won out. Okay. Oh, good choice. All right, so we're down to it. Number ones. What do you got? Okay, so uh, I'm gonna kind of discontinue my streak here as we get into my number one because i think the other four you are very familiar with and can relate to but i don't think you've ever watched this show or if you have certainly not as much as i have uh, and that is malcolm mcdowell as brett styles in the mentalist i have not watched that show at all okay that's kind of what i was thinking so the unique thing about brett is He's kind of like a cult leader, like a Jim Jones type character in the show. Uh, he's the the leader of a self-realization center. They call it Visualize. 
Um, the the mm. whole premise of the show with the mentalists, Patrick Jane, the main character, was wronged by a serial killer after he got a little bit too cocky and maybe called him out. The serial killer killed his wife and his daughter, and so it becomes his life mission to avenge their death, figure out who this serial killer is, Red John, as he's called. And along the way, he runs into a slew of characters that he thinks could be Red John, including Brett Stiles, uh, was definitely one of his suspects, one of his top five suspects, I believe, towards the end of the show. Uh, ultimately, it was revealed that it was not, in fact, him. But there are some fan theories that indicate, no, no, it actually was him. There's too many things that this guy knows. There's, it, It's got to be him. But that's another rabbit hole we don't need to go down. But for me, when whenever this guy was on screen, it, I just had such a visceral reaction towards him. Just thinking about how he's taking advantage of people, thinking about some of the the crap that he knows and and how he uses that information because there are members of his visualization or visualize uh center that are in like the, the FBI or the CBI California Bureau of Investigation in this case i mean it's just i drew so many similarities to scientology and just overall the the reaction that i have whenever he was on screen was just like oh, i hate this guy why can't I look away? It, he almost steals the show a little bit with his personality every time the episode or every time he's included in an episode. And, and so I just I had to have him on this list. Um, you know, he ultimately does die uh, in, in one of the later episodes, but not before causing a lot of mayhem, pushing Patrick into a whole bunch of different directions. In, including the right direction for finding out who Red John actually is. Uh, but he's also responsible for a number of crimes, uh, a number of murders, and including the first leader of Visualize. It, he killed the first guru, and, and that's how he became the leader, because there was a staged car crash, which I think uh. Patrick was the one to kind of figure that out later on. But yeah, just his performance was fantastic. Such a strong personality, likable and yet hateable at the same time. Very influential. And I really enjoyed having him on the show. And yet I hated him at the same time. I just episodes with it pissed me off but also were enjoyable. I don't know. It's a, it's a hard relationship to describe. Sure. I, uh, while I am not familiar with the mentalist literally at all, I've not watched anything. Um, of it's okay. It. Uh, I will say, I do, I do like Malcolm. I do like Malcolm McDowell quite a bit. He's a great actor. What, uh, what shows are you thinking of when you think of Malcolm McDowell? Um, I remember, <laughs> Funnily enough, this is probably not what most people would remember him for. I remember him as the villain in Star Trek Generations, probably most notably. Okay. Um, which is not a good movie, to be clear. It's pretty bad. Uh, that's the one where uh, it's the first Next Generation movie, but also Kirk's in it. Right. They're weird space shenanigans. Um, it's not good. Probably not worth watching. 
but he's in it and I like him. Yeah, and he's been in a number of other things, uh, but again, nothing comes to mind. A couple but... episodes of Community, right? Oh, yeah. Forgot about that. Oh, man, he kind of plays an influential character there as well. He's done he's done some voice acting. Oh, oh, um, Heroes also. Mm. He's he's a character on mm, one of the seasons of Heroes. That's been too long. I don't remember which season that was. Yeah, don't worry about it. it anyway, the the point still stands. His his character as Brett Styles love him, hate him, maybe both at the same time, but ultimately just he was a, a key contributor to that show even though he was never part of the main cast and Sure. Uh, he he helped advance the plot. So, I definitely think a, a thing that makes a character worthy for that list is you think of that character's presence in the episodes, and you, if that's a character you can think of and go, oh, when this character shows up, it's going to be good. It's going to be a good episode. That's a that's a good good indicator that they belong on the list. And that's exactly what this is. It's you you always knew some kind of shenanigans were happening if you saw him. It's like, oh, great. We're going to go back to the visualized center. Awesome. I digress. What do you have for your number one? So the final item on my list is a character that I do believe you are familiar with. I'm talking about the man himself, Doug Judy from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. That is a wonderful choice. Doug Judy is uh, first introduced, you know, if you're not familiar with Brooklyn Nine-Nine, cop show, comedy, sitcom. Andy Samberg is the kind of main character, Jake Peralta, on the show. And one episode in the first season, you find out he's got a nemesis. It's the Pontiac Bandit, and it's a case that he worked earlier in his career that he uh, was never able to track the guy down. Uh, It's just some guy who was going around stealing Pontiacs. Another character on the show brings in Craig Robinson as Doug Judy as a lead to help him catch out catch the Pontiac Bandit, but then it turns out Doug Judy is the Pontiac Bandit. It was him all along. Oh, that was a great episode. Yeah, uh, and so yeah, over the course of the show, uh, they kind of, you, you get about one Doug Judy episode per season, uh, and they are always standouts. They're always great episodes. Peralta very much considers Doug Judy to be his nemesis, especially early on as like, oh, I've got to get this guy. But over the course of time, Doug Judy is such just such a compelling character, both as a character on the TV show and also as a person in the show, that they develop this weird friendship. <laughs> um, and they just like they like hanging out, and they end up kind of doing. Doug Judy ends up helping on various cases. Some of the episodes are like Doug Judy's helping on something, and then another episode he's got to go after Doug Judy for something else. Uh, you've got stuff like. Uh, different encounters and rivalries and they kind of have like a weird bromance relationship that kind of develops over the course of the show. Uh, and they, it's just, it's a tremendously fun presence every time he's on screen. Yeah. And I always think of uh, the, the one line where he and my wife loves this too. She references it often enough that it's kind of become a staple and just our communication with each other. Uh, but he, he's talking about, old crimes that he had committed, you know, impersonation. And he, he said, uh, I sold a guy a fake Pekingese. Twas a cat. And like, <laughs> uh, I lose it every time. It's just fantastic. Just some of the shenanigans that he got brought into, I, I think. Yeah, I, I agree. Great, great addition to your list. 
Uh, also worth noting uh, later on introducing the show is his sister Trudy, Trudy Judy, Judy, yeah, which is just a fun character name to say. Played by Nicole Byer, who brings a similar energy to the show, and uh, one of the things that that I enjoy is he's always like trying to be like, I gotta protect her. She's my little sister. I need to like keep her away from like foul language and dirty thoughts and things like that. And then she's like way worse than he is on that oh, area. Yeah. It's so bad. Funny, funny recurring jokes. Ah, uh, yeah. And he uh, tricked Peralta into going on the cruise because he said somebody was trying to kill him. And he's like, what do you, what do you mean you didn't know it was me? You didn't even sign up for this competition. And, and Amy's just, you know, kind of drawn aback because they had pretty much just started dating at that point, or had been dating for a little while at least, but you know, Peralta, oh, you didn't realize you, you didn't sign up for this contest, and yet somehow you won, and and here I am. You think that's a coincidence? He's like Judy. You're like, <laughs> uh, he's, a, he's, a, he's a great character again. Uh, just Craig Robinson. I was introduced to through uh, him showing up on The Office, but I really oh, yeah. enjoy him no matter where he shows up. But this, uh, his role as Doug Judy is probably my favorite thing that he's done as a lounge lounge singer. Talking about smushing booties. Oh, yeah. Yep. Hilarious. I agree. That's that a good addition to the list. Looking at, my, uh, looking at my top five here, I've realized that four out of five on my list are kind of uh, advers- likable adversaries. <laughs> sure. <laughs> my top four is all like, oh, people who are opposed to the main characters, but uh, consistently, but uh, are, are compelling despite that. Yeah, I think I have a similar thing going on, almost villainous in nature. Sure. I, you know, Frank was opposed to George. Cutthroat bitch versus House. I think Ed Kemper in some ways, you know, aids him, but sure. uh, maybe not so He's much. He's a serial killer. He's a serial killer. Brett Stiles, you know, as as opposed to Patrick Jane. I think Bobby's the only one that's kind of like just an awesome yeah. dude. Yeah. So, I, yeah, a little bit of a theme there. The, the likable characters are the ones that are in opposition, it seems. All right. Well, that's going to do it for our first segment. We're going to take a little bit of a break, and then we're going to come back, run down our 6 through 10 very briefly before we get into arguing over who's making the unified top 10 list. Ooh, I think, What's uh, the ranking going to be? We might even throw some honorable mentions in there as well. We'll be right back. Hey, welcome back, everyone. If you made it this far, then you're probably enjoying yourself at least a little. In that case, an honest rating or review or simply referring a friend would go a a real long way to help us get the word out. So thank you for listening. And now on to phase two. We're going to briefly go over the remainder of our personal top 10, as well as throw in any honorable mentions? All right, I'm going to start off here with my six through ten. Just kind of churn through these a little quickly. Mentioned earlier, we'll start with my number six. Mentioned earlier that you might hear from me on some Seinfeld. I have included uh, Newman from Seinfeld, played by Wayne Knight, as my number six. Another. He was a consideration for me, so I get yeah. it. I definitely get it. Another uh, very adversarial character. Matching the theme of our lists, I guess. He is Jerry's arch nemesis, 
interestingly, first uh, first his very first appearance was actually just a voice, and he was voiced by Larry David, co-creator of the show. Which I think is kind of fun. Before they got Wayne Knight on board, just very cartoonishly evil, um, just just a huge jerk all the time to to Jerry. Uh, it's a, it a very fun presence on the show. So when I think of Wayne Knight, I think of Jurassic Park, but I sure. basically just see Newman as that character. I it just it feels it's basically the same similar. character. Yeah. Oh yeah. Different skill set. Uh, number seven on my list. Uh, I've gone to Arrested Development, and which is one of my one of my favorite TV shows of all time. I I could have done a top ten list of just Arrested Development uh, recurring characters, but ultimately I chose Carl Weathers playing himself. Uh, if you haven't watched the show, he shows up as a uh, very much a fictionalized version of himself that notably um, you, you get some interviews with Carl Weathers on this. He came up with the idea of what the, what his fictionalized character of himself was going to be. And ultimately what they landed on was uh, so he shows up, offers to be an acting coach to one of the characters in the show, to Tobias, uh, and then ultimately... Um, doesn't really give acting lessons and more just kind of gives advice on how to save money in trashy ways. Just very much like, hey, you know, you could, airlines will pay you money to get bumped from flights, so you could, like, scam them out of money this way. Uh, <laughs> like, fake plane tickets and stuff like this. Or, hey, you know, or why, why throw that bone away that you just finished eating the meat off of? There's still good meat on that bone. You, you bring that home, throw it in a pot, and you can get some stew going, baby. Uh, just, just weird, like, like just ways to like cheap out on things and just be kind of weird little creepy dude. Uh, just, just a trying funny, to save you money. Yeah, just a funny depiction of, but funny way for for them to depict Carl Weathers, who at the time mo- most notably known for being in Rocky Four, right? I think that's the one. Mm-hmm. Apollo Creed himself. Uh, but yeah, it uh, just very very funny character who shows up in several episodes and uh, made my list at number seven. Moving on to number eight, this one's a little more sentimental for me. Uh, I'm going to Doctor Who and we're going to old Doctor Who specifically. Ooh. Uh, the original run of the show. And we're going to talk about Brigadier Lethbridge-Stewart, played by Nicholas Courtney, RIP. Uh, he is one of the most frequently recurring Doctor Who characters over the course of the original run, introduced in 1968 with the second Doctor, but kind of became prominent in the first season of the third Doctor in 1970. He was uh, kind of the Doctor's main person that he interacted with as, as part of UNIT, which is the United Nations Intelligence Task Force, which and, and ultimately, over time, kind of became a friend to the Doctor and 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 an ally for him in his efforts to protect the Earth. Uh, the character is very much depicted as kind of a stuffy military man. Who just if you, if you get in the picture of your head of like a British soldier who's no nonsense and, and very stuffy and everything like that, it's very much the type of character that they're going for. Very pleasant, very, uh, very, very warm, friendly experience seeing him on screen whenever he would show up in the original run of that show. A character I, I really enjoy. Definitely uh, not as familiar with old Doctor Who, having only seen some of them, maybe some of the key episodes and specials from long ago. Definitely more familiar with kind of 9 through 11 and part of 12. I watched all of it, all the old stuff. All that still exists anyway. Some of the, some of the old serials are gone, sadly, but or only exist in audio form nowadays because the BBC just threw the original reels away. 
That's unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, number nine on my list, we're going to The Wire, uh, Proposition Joe, played by Robert F. Chu, also RIP. Proposition Joe, or Prop Joe, as he's frequently referred to in the show, is a drug lord in the east side of Baltimore. Uh, he's a really likable character um, for a lot of different reasons. One of the big reasons he's as compelling as he is, is he's frequently way more reasonable than a lot of the more violent-minded um, drug trade characters that are in The Wire. Uh, and he's usually looking for, hey, why, why can't we figure out like a more peaceful way to do this thing? You know, we figure out, hey, you know, we can find a solution here that makes everybody happy sort of thing. And he's just, he, he's, a, he's an interesting presence to see on the show just because he's tonally so different from most of the other characters that are in the more drug trade focused parts of the show. Uh, he's also one of the few characters from that segment of the show that actually shows up in every season. Um, not always a lot every season. I think one of them he's only in like one episode of, but he, He's always kind of floating around um, and is, is always good to see when he's there. And then uh, my number 10, we're ending with Deadwood. And we're talking about Mr. Wu, played by Keon Young. Uh, Mr. Wu is kind of the accepted leader of the Chinese population of the town of Deadwood. A lot of the time he's played for pairing of menacing and comedic effect. He is uh, not a good man. He is utilized by the um by some of the main characters of the show because he they can uh, give him corpses of people that they've had murdered and he will feed their corpses to the pigs to get rid of the bodies not the uh, friendliest person overall but um notably the scenes primarily we see him at interacting with Ian McShane's elsewhere engine and uh they kind of work together to make each other kind of appease each other and and cut deals that sort of thing uh no, very notably Mr. Wu speaks Almost no English, so a lot of it is them kind of shouting at each other in other languages, and Mr. Wu, swear engine knows no Chinese, Mr. Wu knows about three phrases in English, mostly profanity, and so it's a lot of them shouting at each other, lots of gesturing, some drawings, things like that, and ultimately they're, they're frequently able to communicate and, and get their points across in some, some entertaining ways, um, and it's it's another fairly antagonistic relationship, but ultimately they're they're working together most of the time. So he he he's he's a fun he's a fun experience every time he shows up. Okay, I uh, not as familiar with Deadwood, but I do know Mr. Wu was played by Keon Young, and that actor uh, I remember from my childhood because. There was a movie that I used to love called Surf Ninjas. Oh, okay. And, I didn't and know he, he was had in a that. role in that. He was the Baba Ram in, in the like the beginning of the movie where they have this Baba Ram that is coming to visit and he has to have a special cultural presentation prepared. I just I didn't quite make the connection at first, but yeah, that he's in it and that's that's just a, a great childhood movie for me. But anyway, we can yeah, so that's my that's my six through ten. A um, couple other very quick honorable mentions that didn't quite qu- didn't quite make my list. Uh, I'll mention Lucia Ostero from Arrested Development, played by Liza Minnelli. Waxana uh, Troy in Star Trek: Next Generation, played by Majel Barrett. Uh, and then uh, other one I was going to mention was uh, on the Mandalorian. We've got uh, the character Pelimoto, who's played by Amy Sedaris. Very very funny character. So. Uh, other characters I really enjoyed. Okay. It's a good list. On to yours. 
What's your six yeah. and ten? Let me round it out here. So I, I feel like I have some pretty strong contenders in my list, kind of in that six through eight range that could potentially be even in our unified top ten list. Maybe oh. even displacing some of our other previous ones. Bold. But yeah, it's it, we'll see. We'll see how we feel after I name a few of them. Uh, let's start with my number six, one of the, the best contenders, I think, and, and that is Ted from Scrubs. Okay. And Ted as a, a character, kind of just uh, nobody, kind of the the lawyer of the hospital that really is just awful at his job, doesn't know anything about the law, it seems, and, and frequently just screws around and, and and just doesn't know what's going on. Kind of the epitome um, of a sad sack kind of character. Oh, yeah, just just awful. But uh, he's got his acapella group, the Worthless Peons, and I, I just I really enjoy seeing Ted on screen because he's just kind of a comic relief in a sad way, but like just a really enjoyable kind of comic relief. I don't know. It's hard to describe, but he's he's, he's very much the whipping boy of the hospital administrator, Dr. Kelso. And the, the few times where he actually speaks up and and tries to challenge Kelso. That's those are some of my favorite parts, but he quickly disappears. So we don't really get to see the confrontation in reality. Yeah. At number seven, I also have Doug Judy from Brooklyn nine, nine. So mm-hmm. I'm going to concede that one uh, as a, a real strong possibility on our combined list. Uh, so I'll, I'll move past it. My number eight, somebody that I thought maybe would have been on your list uh, and wasn't even an honorable mention, but I have Quill Wheaton from The Big Bang Theory just as another nemesis-type character to Sheldon. And the episode where they're playing the card game and Will Wheaton tells him the story about how his his grandma, er, it, he, he might even have said Meemaw at the time, was ill and he needed him to, to win and Sheldon loses on purpose and then he's like, Oh, well actually I lied to you and then suddenly they're nemeses and yeah, that is just fantastic. He came yeah, up several several more times. There's that there was that phase of Will Wheaton's career where he kinda came back after being gone for a lot of years after being on Star Trek. And then he just decided he was just gonna be an absolute asshole in every role he was in, like on the guild and um, oh yeah big bang theory and other places and i i enjoy it. that that time period in his career is kind of over at this point but i i really enjoyed it i'm pretty sure you mispronounced it it's quill wheaton quill wheaton quill wheaton anyway my number nine is sideshow bob from the simpsons now when i think about the simpsons in general there's just way too many characters. Oh, yeah. I, I considered The Simpsons, and I looked at the list, and I was like, you know, there's just too many. I cannot choose. I'm just I, I'm passing on The Simpsons. I struggled to really pick one. I, I was down to two. I, it was between him and Troy McClure, uh, because I just I really enjoy Troy McClure as a, a, Very good. a character. But Sideshow Bob won out, because I think Kelsey Grammer's performance, just the angry side of him, Again, another nemesis type character where yeah. it's just trying to kill Bart. I, I think what stands out to me most is when he got that tattoo on his chest in, in it says die Bart die, but he mm-hmm. said 
No, it's German. It says D bar D. It means the bar the and absolutely in the background you hear the crowd kind of whispering. Oh yeah, nobody who speaks German could be evil. Like absolutely. Okay. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, classic. But uh, yeah, I just I really I liked all the episodes that Sideshow Bob is in and. And there have been a number of them, and um, they often imitate some other art, as Simpsons often does, uh, other real movies and classic scenes. And sure, I, Kelsey Grammer's performance, I think, really contributes well to that. So it was a good, good addition to my list. Uh, and the final one on my list is one I, I don't think you're as familiar with because I don't think you've seen this show. Uh, Jim Dickens on Letterkenny, and. What I really like about Jim is that he he's just a fast talking Canadian guy, almost like an auctioneer style guy. But that's his shtick. That's the whole thing. Like any any situation where it feels like they might need somebody to speak quickly or to auction something off, he just kind of like shows up, and and he's just tall and and he talks fast, and that's his only thing. But it's. It's funny every single time that he shows up. And so when I see him uh, in, with his big cowboy hat on, I'm like, all right, what are we getting ourselves into this time? I'm like, oh, man, we got to wait. Are we going for 20, 20, 20, 20? We going for 20? Well, anyway, you get the picture. He's uh, he, he's great. I really like the way he's portrayed in that show. And it's just such a simple idea, but it's not something I think I've ever seen any other show do. So kind of unique, and I like it. I've never seen a minute of that show, so I will take. Oh, you're missing out. Uh, A few other honorable mentions that I'm going to put on here. Uh, Another community reference: Leonard. I I really like Leonard. Um, The TV show Limitless, which was based on the movie Limitless, Bradley Cooper as Senator Edward Morrow, who is the main character in the movie, is just kind of a recurring character in the TV show. But I really liked his character in the TV show. Uh, it just kind of portrays kind of the next steps after the movie. So getting a little bit of closure, because after I watched that movie, I wanted to, I wanted more. And so being able to see that, it was it's really nice. Uh, next, I have Butters from South Park. There's a lot mm. of lot of secondary characters yep. on South Park. But I think Butters is, is just kind of a classic one. Yeah, I think I'm well, with you. Butters is probably my favorite secondary character from that show. Oh, he's just hilarious. He's so likable, too. He's just so innocent. and Everyone knows it's Butters. Butters. Uh, even when he's playing his, uh, his evil, uh, his um, alternative uh, ID. Anyway, uh, Butters, yeah, fantastic. Uh, last one on my list for honorable mentions. Kind of kick it back a little bit. Uh, from the TV show Monk, I have his brother, Ambrose Monk who is kind of like the Mycroft to the Sherlock Holmes equivalent. A little bit more neurotic, but also more intelligent or able to see more specific details and changes than even Monk himself. And they have a really contentious relationship. And I don't know, it's it's played by John Torturo. I think that might be the first thing I ever saw him in. Oh, he did a fantastic job with it. I, I was really impressed with it. Um, so, yeah, kind of another honorable mention that I was considering for my list, but didn't quite make the cut. Okay, well, we've put together some top ten lists here. 
Now it's time to combine them into one unified list and determine what's really the best non-main character on a TV show. Let's find out. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's safe to say Doug Judy's going to be in our top 10 list. Yeah, I think we can pretty safely say that at this point. I'm going to, on the on our document we use here to visualize this stuff, I'm going to move over both of our top 10 or our top fives into potential positions here. And, and not to say that only the only ones from our top five make the list. You know, if we got good arguments for why uh, six or through 10 needs to make the list, that can be accepted. But usually it's probably probably going to be mostly stuff from our top fives. Uh, I'm going to move Doug Judy into that number one slot for now. Not necessarily saying that's where he's going to stay, mm. but, you know, we'll put him there for now. Yeah, I don't know if he's a number one for me. That's and fair. That's fair. Uh, but he is the only one who showed up on both our lists, so you, not an automatic presumptive. Win. You're being not, o- awfully presumptive. Not an automatic win, but we're just. He was number seven for me. No, he was number seven for me. Oh, okay, do you? Because you already moved him in number one. It's not a permanent move. It's temporary. Mm-hmm. Okay, maybe permanent. We'll find out. Um, no, well, no, no. I like from your list. I really like Bobby Singer on this list. I'm I'm very comfortable with having Bobby Singer end up in the top five slot. I would be tempted to even throw him as a number two. Mm. He, I don't know. He I w- don't know if I'm there, but he was close for me as a uh, a two ahead of Ed Kemper. But I think, given the longevity of Supernatural and kind of the downgrading of the overall series over time it kind of took it away from me a little bit not yeah, his performance in particular but just the series in general oh it super went downhill <laughs> but mindhunter ed kemper hmm, it's classic just, very compelling awesome. very compelling performance for sure so I'm we both move- have uh, we both had seinfeld characters i had frank as my number five I think he beats out Newman. Obviously, he beat out Newman for my list since I considered him. I, I think he should be a top five character as well. Hmm. I, I'm fine having Frank on instead of Newman, absolutely, but I don't think he's top five. Uh, I, I like him a lot, but even looking at the rest of your list and my list, I just don't see room for him on the top five. Hmm. Let's put him at six right now and okay. agree to disagree, and we okay. can we could think about it. How's that sound? All right, we've we've got we've moved in, we moved over Frank Stanza. He's making the list. Okay, pick from your list. I think for me, it's it's an easy one. Q oh, yeah. is uh, obviously relatable for me. Probably a top five. I maybe even oh, I don't know about maybe number three even. Well, uh, I'll move him to well, three for then, now. I don't know. I think I like Ed Kemper better mm, than Q. Uh, I, I, I'm going to fight you on that one. Uh, the, the, so I, I think the performance of Ed Kemper is incredibly compelling. But part of it that sticks out to me is that this is a real-life man who was a real-life murderer. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, see, the, the problem I'm having here is you have not watched The Mentalist, so... No, I've not it's watched The Mentalist. Di- it's a definitely more difficult for me to argue Brett Styles over Q in this case. Oh, man. Yeah, because I, I I, I've got no connection to him, but 
you know, it, I, I, I do think that your argument for how he makes episodes that he shows up in, like the episodes with him are an, are an event in that show. Uh, I think that's a really strong case for him being on this list. Mm-hmm. I would say I would want to pair that. I would want to pair his presence on the list with Cad Bane from from my list. As I know you haven't watched any of that, but that's very similar. They exist. Mm. The, my argument for Cad Bane would be in a very similar space where the Cad Bane episodes are pretty unilaterally fantastic. And anytime you see him show, show up, you know that it's going down. Yeah, between Q and Brett, it's... Kind of similar sentiment. I I think I'm going to give Brett a slight edge, though, in my mind. We can think about this a little bit more, but the fact that he was almost considered or revealed as the main killer in the entire series, I think that gives him a little bit of a leg up on Q. While Q's episodes have been fantastic and thought-provoking and... And usually some kind of shenanigans ensue in, in every single episode that he appears in. I think Brett, in the same way, does that, but also could have been the main series villain, but was revealed not to be. How about so this? I, I, I give him a slight edge in I don't, my mind. I'm, I'll be real with you. I don't, lo- I don't love the idea of him beating Q, but I'm 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 propose a trade. We're going to wheel and deal here a bit. I'll give you, I'll give you Brett Stiles over Q. But then you got to give me Cad Bane top five. Okay, I can do that. Okay. I'm going to shift Q down from number three to number four. We're going to put Cad Bane in at number five. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to move Ed Kemper, not Ed Kemper. I don't know. I just said Ed Kemper. We're moving Brett, Brett Stiles. Stiles. They're right next to each other on this list. Number three. Pardon okay. me. Um, we're, moving, we're moving him over. So right now, the list as it stands. Um, we have, these are not final positions. We have Doug Judy at number one, Bobby Singer at number two, Brett Stiles at number three, Q at number four, Cad Bane at five, and Frank Costanza at six. I think mm. that looks pretty good so far. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to move Frank down now that I think about it. I'm, okay. I'm going to move Frank down. I, I think I easily see Ed and, and, uh, Amber ahead of of Frank in my mind so it's difficult for me to put him up I, I was just kind of pairing some of your comments earlier but yeah let, let's let's move him off the list for the moment we can we can fill him in maybe bumping, in a little bit bumping Frank from the list okay so just for now so we have we have a 6 through 10 to fill here hmm. um I know you don't have connection to either Elam Garrick or Gordon Cole. I have a feeling you're probably going to want... Ed Ed was number two on your list. I have a feeling you're probably going to want him at number six. Which yeah, I that's could, kind of what I, I was see. thinking. I, I can see yeah. that. That's, that. That is fair, I think. I'm going to move him in there. I'm going to swiftly follow it with Amber. I think she's uh, easily the best part of season four. And even into some of the later episodes, recurring as uh, his angel on his shoulder. Mm. I I think I'll give it to you purely because of the, I think that's a good argument, and she really, as a recurring character, she really contributes to making that season probably be my favorite season of the show overall. Um, 
Whereas either of my remaining characters are characters that I like more than her overall, but I, uh, they, they don't have the same outsized impact on the sh- their respective shows as she did on House. Okay, fair enough. Let's throw her at number seven then. What's the character's actual last name? Because I had her listed as Cutthroat Bitch, and let's have her in here as her actual name. Amber. Yeah, it's Velakis, V-O-L-A-K-I-S. Okay, Amber Velakis. It's like, I think it's a Greek name. Okay. Velakis, I'm not sure. So we have eight, nine, and ten to go. Yeah, I'm going to stretch a little bit and say, I think Ted from Scrubs needs to be number ten. I think... Mm. I think he could bump either Elam or Gordon, and I just would be okay with that. I'm going to fight for Elam Garrick over Gordon Cole for sure, and I I haven't watched Scrubs in a long time, but I do really like Ted. I think he is, you know, kind of, like I said earlier, kind of the epitome of that just sad sack, just weary, beaten down character that uh, you love to see get beat up on. Not physically, really, but more emotionally and spiritually just subjected to abuse just uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna go up to the roof and see if i can find a good spot to jump off i'll see you guys later and just kind of disappears it's like hmm, i wonder if he'll actually do it this time does ted have a last name probably ted scrubs ted, ted buckland I, that's his name we're putting we're, he, he gets uh, a yeah, last yeah. name on the list as i put him in at number 10 his fate is sealed it is sealed. Oh my gosh, I forgot about that. All right. Um So how about this? Because you have conceded Ted to me for 10, I'm bumping Gordon off this list. I think we put Elam 8, Frank 9. I deem this as acceptable. Okay. Oops. There we go. Clicking on the wrong thing here. Okay. So let, I feel good about just... this list. I'll do a rundown for us. T- talk us through 10 through 1. Okay. We're going to start at number 10. Number 10 is Ted Buckland from Scrubs. Number 9, Frank Costanza from Seinfeld. Number 8, Elam Garrick from Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Number 7, Amber Velakis, a.k.a. Cutthroat Bitch from House. Number 6 is Ed Kemper from Mindhunter. Number 5 is Cad Bane from Star Wars The Clone Wars. Number four is Q from Star Trek The Next Generation. Number three is Brett Stiles from The Mentalist. Number two is Bobby Singer from Supernatural. And number one, Doug Judy from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. A.K.A. the Pontiac Bandit. The Pontiac Bandit himself. Yeah, I'm not not real thrilled that Brett got bumped down, but given that you're not as connected to the character, I guess I could see why we moved it. Uh, How many Pontiacs has Brett Stiles stolen? Oh, God, that's a good point. That's a real good point. Doug Judy has stolen at least more than one Pontiac We know that at we know least of. A slew, a slew of Pontiacs. Nope. I think you're right. I think this is it. I feel pretty good about the list. It, not, not a, you know, amazing, but Brett's, I feel pretty good about it. Brett Stiles didn't spend 150 years, years in hell. That's true. Bobby Singer is pretty great. Yeah, okay. I'm good. I'm good with this list. All right. Well, it's we did it. Solid. That's a yeah. list. Okay. Wow. That that, that was a little bit of uh, negotiation tactics, you know? Just gotta 
sometimes you got to give a little to take a little, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. But we, at least we agree it's not over until it's all over. Small battles don't mean everything is done. That's why, ultimately, the culmination of this podcast will be Scott and I fighting to the death. Well, thanks for taking the time to listen to us argue. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you have show ideas or comments, you can reach us on Twitter at StupidSequence or email us at StupidSequence at gmail.com. Our next episode will be posted in two weeks' time, and we intend to keep the bi-weekly release, uh, at least for now. Uh, Josh, do you want to you wanna tell everyone what our next one's going to be? Episode three of Stupid Sequence is going to be Best Spinoffs. Spinoffs. Not limited to TV. You can, you can argue your way into something counting as a spinoff. Go for it. Ooh, that'll be fun. Yeah, I've already got some ideas. I think this will be a good one. Me too. Okay, well, until next time, I've been Scott. And I've been Josh. And remember, with a little practice, you can argue your way into a friendship. And remember, with a little practice, you can argue yourself... Dang it. (laughs) Okay, hold on.